Hey, this is Jason Hubbard, and I, along with my wife, are the lead pastors of One Life Church in Nampa, Idaho. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. We hope that it encourages you and motivates you to live for Christ. Enjoy this message. What an honor to be with your house. Honestly, I just was loving worship with all of you this morning. I've been here before, and honestly, there's just something fresh going on. From the moment I walked in this morning, I was like, whoa, okay. All right, God is doing something, and this is a people leaning in for it. And I just have to say, on behalf of uh, me, my husband, Danny, um, we are just so proud of the work that Jason, Ellie, all of the team is doing here at One Life Church. Yeah, give your pastors a hand. It is a hard work to step in to another pastor's work and carry that on into the new thing that God has for it. And we were here in the fall when you guys were transitioning and uh, Rhett and Linda, they were moving back and going on to the next thing that God has for them. And these guys were stepping into that role. And in such a short period of time to see what God has done, honestly, oh, I just... My heart is full just being able to be here with you. So it is an honor and privilege, me and my husband. We are co-lead pastors. We planted Sun City Church about eight years ago, and we're from the Nampa area. I know many of you, actually, I got to pastor many of your young people who are now pastoring this church, so that's pretty fun. It's amazing just watching how God how God is working and how God is doing things. And, um, you know, just that full circle. We were talking um, just this morning. I was introducing, I have my youngest here. I'll introduce you in just a moment. I have my youngest here and um, the Paul and, and Ruth Ann here in the building, their daughter watched my daughter when she was little and I got to introduce them. And my daughter is now watching their grandchildren at our church in Sun City. So she was babysitting their grandchildren this last semester as her daughter and her husband were in our small group semester. And it's just amazing to see how God does that. It is really fun. So we have three kids. We have two boys, 17, 15, and then I have my youngest here today. Annie, would you turn and just kind of give everyone a little bit of a wave? I'm going to actually have her share a little bit at the end because it's going to tie into what we're talking about today. You've been in a series called Gather at the Table. What a great series. I love the video. I love just the whole, uh, let's be intentional about this space where we are getting together. We're leaning in, not just to relationship with each other, but to what God would do in this community space. I love it. Um, Some of Jesus' best work seems to have happened around the table. And so I love the whole concept of let's gather, let's see what might happen in that space. And today I want to talk to you specifically about I'm a multi-generation house and how to create a table that multiple generations are gathering around. Jesus' first words to his disciples after um, rising from the dead, I find significant. He said a few things to them. Uh, First, he said, peace be with you. They were very troubled after seeing him risen from the dead, after they'd seen him crucified. And then here's the next thing that he followed it up with. What do you guys have to eat? Jesus was ready to gather around the table. And we see this all throughout his ministry. He's gathering. They were accusing him. Hey, you're constantly dining with sinners, with people that nobody else would eat with. In Jesus' day, it was a significant thing to share a meal with someone. It's not as, it's not 
carrying the same weight in our culture today as it did in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, when you gathered at a table, it was acknowledging the worth of the people that you were gathering with. So if there was somebody um, that you didn't want in your circle, you didn't invite them over for dinner. You, you wouldn't sit down with them if you were in a cafeteria kind of space. You only ate with people that you found significant and worthy of investing that level of time. And Jesus was constantly gathering people that nobody else found significant. Nobody else saw worth in them. Nobody else wanted them at their table, but Jesus, he wanted them at his. And the table I love, I love just the picture of it because it's beautiful, it's messy. And if it's anything like the table at my house, it's a little bit loud. Anybody have some loud tables? I always have this kind of idea in my family that it's going to look a little bit more like Pinterest, you know? Like I'm going to put some candles out. It's going to have a vibe going on. There's going to be beautiful food. And then my kids, they're all going to come and sit down at that table and put their napkin, you know, over their lap. And they're going to pause before even eating to just admire the spread. And they're going to say, Mom, thank you for the work that you did. How you slaved away in the kitchen. And you intentionally created this space in which we can gather and have meaningful conversation. And then we will all grab hands. We'll pray. We'll just invite the blessing of God before we eat. And then once we eat, it'll just be slow. (laughs) One bite at a time. Just really every bite appreciating everything that went into it. I've never had, I've never actually had a dinner like that at my house. (laughs) If you have, tell me your tricks afterwards. That's not how it happens in my house. I'm always like, please taste it on the way down. (laughs) Right, this food I took a lot of time with. Um, Jesus, though, he gathered in these spaces. And man, I love, I love what happens in it because Jesus isn't just gathering with people and, and really helping them feel significant. He's also revealing himself in these these table kind of moments. In fact, there's this moment with a few disciples in the, at the road to Emmaus. And there are a couple of disciples. They'd been there. They'd been following Jesus. They saw him crucified. And he's just walking with them, and they don't recognize him. He's in this resurrected form. He's walking with them. And then they get to a place where they're going to stop, and they're going to have food. And it's not till they stop, and then they have food, that this is what happens. Luke 24 says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And I believe when we gather around the table, there is a unique opportunity for God to reveal himself to people. There's a unique opportunity for them to see him like they have never seen him before. And what they were blinded to, now they see. But in order to really have that rhythm of gathering, you have to have a few things. You got to have some commitment to it. Just because you have a burnt dinner or a bad dinner or everything goes crazy, you got to have a commitment. No, we are going to gather around the table as a family. You got to have some flexibility. You got to have the ability to like, hey, this isn't turning out exactly like the way that I planned. One of my, my kids sat down and immediately spilled that 
beautiful dish that I made all over the tablecloth. And now we have this lovely stain in the middle of it. And we're just going to appreciate it. Just what it adds, really, to the vibe we have going on here. And you got to have some leadership. you got to have this, hey, here's, here's why we're gathering. Here's what we want to do in this space. And in our own homes and in our small groups in these places of discipleship, we got to have some leadership to know, hey, this is why we're gathering and here's what God wants to do in it. And so today as we talk about, well, how do we do that for a multi-generational space? Like it's hard just in our own families. How do we create a space where it's, old people, young people, the youngest of the young among us, how do we create a space where everyone is gathering to the table and they are experiencing what God has for them? Let me tell you this, you know this, but I just want to say it and I want to confirm what you already know. One Life Church is called to be a multi-generational house. You're called to it. You're called to not just have one age group, one demographic represented, you are called by God to create a space in which young people love to be here. But there is some intentionality that's required in order for that to happen. God's stirring right now all over the nation in a generation. And I believe the assignment God gave to me to come here with is to help you prepare at another level for what he's doing in a younger generation, that you would be ready to host them around the table. And first Samuel, this is, this is really where I want to draw out just some insight here today. This is what God's been speaking to me personally about what I've been speaking to our church about and all the churches we're in relationship with. And first Samuel, we see this picture of of this moment in Israel's story where they're trying to establish leadership. And they don't don't like God's plan. God had a plan and they didn't like it. They wanted to be a little bit cooler than the plan that God had. He had judges and they were residing over the people and they began to look at all the other nations around them and say, we want a king like all the other nations have a king. And so they started to insist on that. Anybody ever think your ideas are better than God's ideas? (laughs) Like, God, you, you know a lot of things. You've been around for a long time. Um, you have a lot of insight, but I don't know if you've stopped to consider my thought about how things should go. Because <laughs> I've been living for a few decades here on earth. <laughs> and I have some ideas about how things should, should go around here. And if, if you just listen to what I have to say, I think maybe things could be different. We have, we have some amazing audacity when it comes to our opinions, Right? And that's what the children of Israel, that's where they are right now. They, they really have this idea about what they want. They, God gives them what they want, which sometimes the worst thing that can possibly happen in our lives is that God gives us what we ask him for, right? They wanted a king and he gave it to them. And unfortunately, it was a prayer that they didn't really want answered because that first king, it was a massive failure, Saul is the king, but he oversteps into a role that was not his, and that was the role of a priest. So there was a moment in which they're about to go to war, and God separated, here's what the king does, here's what the priest does. And he steps over the line, and instead of waiting for Samuel, the priest, to come and offer the sacrifice and ask for the blessing of God, Saul steps into that role. 
And God says, from that moment, you are not the king that is going to lead Israel. I am going to raise up a new king. So there's this morning that Samuel, the prophet and the priest experiences. And we see this in 1 Samuel 16, which is where I want to draw your attention. 1 Samuel 16. The Lord says to Samuel, this is verse 1. The Lord says to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil. That was this ram's horn that they would use in that time. And be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. So this is a dangerous thing that God's about to send him to do because even though God's rejected Saul as king, Saul's still king. And he has the power to be able to just kill Samuel if he wants to. And Samuel's not thrilled at this idea that he's about to go and anoint. That's what they would do in that time. They would take some oil. And that oil was a representation that that person is consecrated now to God. That person is set apart for the use of God. And God says, Samuel, you're to go and you're going to anoint the next king. There's something that is about to happen and I want you to see it. We jump down to verse 11 and he goes to Jesse's house following the instructions of God. And he asks Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? What I skipped over here, I'll just kind of catch you up on, is that he goes, he starts to look at all of Jesse's sons. And man, these guys look like they are king material. They look impressive. They look like they have potential. They look like maybe this is exactly what God is doing. And one after another, God keeps going, nope, not that one. Not that one either. (laughs) No, not that one. Until they get to the end of the line. And now they're at the end of the line and there's no one left. And Samuel's going, God, you said to come anoint one of his sons. There's no sons left. You said no to every single one of them. So he says to Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? Because this is some confusing stuff that God is saying right now. He's telling me to do this. And now I've already run out of people to anoint. And here's Jesse's answer. There is still the youngest. He's tending the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. They're not even going to sit down at the table because not everyone's there. Someone's supposed to be coming. And there's an anticipation in Samuel's spirit for who is supposed to be at the table. In One Life Church, there's supposed to be an anticipation in your spirit. Like, oh man, this is so great. Look at how God is moving in our church. We come in here and we're worshiping and the presence of God is here and there's fresh life and fresh energy. There is fresh hunger for God. This is great. I love being around this table. But notice this, no one sat down because someone who was supposed to be at the table wasn't at the table. And so he says, we're gonna stay standing and we're gonna stay expectant. And I don't know how long it took. Like, I kind of wonder, like, you're supposed to go out to the, how far away was this field? I don't know if it was just like, you know, another 30 minutes and hours, like they're standing from like lunch. I don't know how long it took, but they're standing, they're waiting with expectation. There's someone supposed to be here at this table. Now they bring him in. They sent for him. They had him brought in and it says he was glowing with health. He had a fine appearance, handsome features. 
I'm going to go back and just draw some stuff out of this here in just a moment. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Now, David, God started speaking to me about this a little while ago. David is, is in this this passage, he's a person, right? But there is a David generation, a whole generation that looks like David. And David's out in the fields where no one's noticing, no one is paying attention to him. They've written him off. And notice that God's choice wasn't even one of the people's options. He wasn't even one of the options that Jesse lined up. It was so far away from his mind that God would choose David that he hadn't even included him in the process. And God is currently on the earth right now looking at a generation that has been written off. A generation riddled with anxiety and depression and fear and insecurity. And God's looking at this generation that everyone else is like, I I don't even know what to do. Ever since COVID, if your schools are anything like our schools, you can feel just this like, wow, what are we even going to do? The the level of damage that was caused in the educational system, the social interaction, the insecurity, all of the things that happened, there's this overwhelming mountain now for our educators to try to even overcome. And there's just this like, this is difficult. All of culture and society is looking at a generation unsure what to do. And in that very moment, God is already moving because people didn't see David, but God saw David. God saw what everyone else missed. A multi-generational house, here's what I want to give you, requires a Samuel generation. There's a David generation he's calling in from the field. But there's a Samuel generation that has to see it. There's a Samuel generation that has to go step into a partnership with the Spirit of God in order to see that David generation step into the calling of God for their life. So I want to give you, I want to give you three things here today that is going to prepare you to be a Samuel generation. To be a house that says we're not sitting down until the next generation's here. There's an expectation in our spirit. So until they are at the table, we have work to do. We have something that we are called by God to partner with him in. And I'm going to give you three things that I believe that God wants to see your house go to a next level in. Here's the first one. Is you got to see what God sees. You got to see what he sees. David would never have become king if Samuel hadn't called him in from the field, if Samuel's not hearing from God, if he's not listening to the Holy Spirit, if he's not paying attention, David would have stayed out in the field. He would have just assumed, if he would have just been a little bit quicker and not listened for the voice of the Holy Spirit, it would have been one of those other young people that would have been anointed for that role, but it wouldn't have been God's choice. In order for God to do what he wanted to do, he needed somebody paying attention. God, I'm not taking another step unless I hear your voice, unless I notice what you're doing and I'm in step with where you're going. You can't raise future kings if you don't see beyond the shepherd. 
So you see young people coming in to this house and you're like, man, I don't even know how to relate. Anybody ever feel that way? I don't understand the way that they talk. Like my kids come home every week and I feel like it's a new lesson every week on how language has changed just that week. Like, what are we saying now? What are those words coming out of your mouth? And what do they mean exactly? Like there is like a whole new way of communicating and talking and they'll just drop these lines on me all of a sudden. I'm like, what does that mean? Just this morning, I was telling my daughter, I was like, you got a vibe going on. She's like, mom, look at you. That's what we say. I was like, I'm learning, I'm trying, working on it. Listen, Jesus was the same way. Jesus gathered young people. His disciples, they were not in their 20s. When, when historians look at the age of, they were young, they were teenagers. Jesus gathered a youth ministry for what he was doing on the earth. Mark 1.17, he says, come follow me to teenagers who are working with their father in their father's business. And he says this, I will send you out to fish for people. Like right now, you're fishermen, but you're about to be apostles who will turn the world upside down. And the work that I'm going to do through you, it is going to span the entire globe and it's going to last for thousands of years. He saw teenagers and he saw straight through what they were currently doing into the world changers that they could be. So I ask you, One Life Church, what do you see when you look at the next generation? At our kids, children, you're like, oh, they're kind of loud and kind of dirty. <laughs> like, what did, what did they put their hands on recently? <laughs> Historically, kids ministry is the hardest ministry to recruit for. Everyone's like, oh, I love kids. But I do that the rest of the week. So I just give myself a break on Sundays, you know. Or I really like my kids. I just don't like other people's kids. Ever heard that one? (laughs) Oh, if you said it, it's, you know. (laughs) Here's my favorite one that people will say. I'm not called to children. I'm like, oh, are you called to old people? (laughs) I didn't know we got to choose what kind of group of people that we're called to. I thought we were called to all people. Every demographic, every generation, every tribe and length. We're all going to be gathered together. And a lot of times there's just this hesitancy. And I get it. I get why. I get all the reasons why. I, I have been in those places where it is crazy and you feel like, man, if I go sign up to be back in kids ministry, I might get stuck there for the rest of my life. <laughs> Everyone will forget that I'm here. They will lock the building. <laughs> I'm never going home. <laughs> I get it. I get, I get why it's difficult. But here's what I just sense God doing right now. I sense that the teams that have been the most difficult to recruit for are going to become the ones that people are lining up for. In fact, I was praying over our own 
kids director just this weekend, I said, God is doing something right now. And there is a spiritual authority that God is bringing upon you and upon your team. And you are going to have people just lining up to just pray over young people, just to be back there and praying over these children because God is doing something. And we got to be those people who see what he sees, hears what he hears. And we're looking at these small children that are loud and crying and not really listening to instructions. And we look beyond the shepherd and we see the king. We look beyond what's going on right now in their life and we see the potential for what God wants to do in and through them. You know, youth ministry can be the same way. Man, we have higher standards for people signing up for youth ministry than every other team. We're like, hey, you gotta really be committed. We can't have you kind of ducking in, ducking out. If you wanna be part of the youth team, you're gonna have to put in the effort to be on the team. And I have, I have this one person who just recently joined our, our team and she is so passionate about it. She dresses the part, right? She is like in her 30s and she shows up and blends right in with the young people. And I walk in and she's wearing like this long trench coat kind of thing and this beanie cap. And she goes, this is my angsty teen vibe right here I got going on. <laughs> I'm like, it's it's flowing. I mean, I'm not really picking up the awkward angstiness from you. You're a little bit more confident in your 30s, but you look the part. You look the part. She is stepping into this place where I love these people. These are my people. She's walking around. She's planning like all of this merch line that she wants to do, like all of these sweatshirts and sweatpants and all of these things with just like, you know, Jesus Jesus stuff on the, the sweatpants they can wear to church. Here's, here's all the things that you know we're saying around Sun City Church that we're gonna put in some kind of cool vibe on these different you know pieces so that they can take them and wear them and talk to their friends about it. And she's asking them all, like, what do you wanna wear? What's cool? What's awesome? Because she's getting into their world and she's changing the script. Like, oh, this is hard. This is difficult. It's costly. It's painful. And she's going like, nope, I'm all in on what God's doing in the next generation. It's not easy to invest in something that you can't see. But here's what Hebrews 11 says. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And I, I just want to say for a moment, maybe even as I talk about all this, there's this like, man, I have faith for the next generation. I, I could pray for them if you want me to pray for them. I don't know if I can really relate with them. You know, I don't know if I can get in their world like what you're talking about. And can I just say that our next generation needs people who just believe in them. And sure, there's some people that are called to just get in their world, talk like they talk, dress like they dress. There's just some people that need to come just as they are and just believe in a generation. Just say, I believe in you enough. I'm just going to open up my home for a youth small group and I'm going to cook them all food. And every young person that walks in this house, I'm just going to encourage. I'm going to affirm them. I'm going to say, I see you. I love you. I care about you. Man, the grandmas and grandpas of our house, they are so valuable. A generation needs to hear a Samuel generation saying, I see what God's doing in you and I believe in it. I felt like I'm not an acronym person. How many people love acronyms in the room? You're an acronym. One, that's cool. <laughs> Me too. 
I'm not really a huge acronym person, but I feel like God gave me an acronym. So here's, here's my acronym. I want to give your house. This is, this is for anoint. I just felt like, man, a Samuel generation anoints a David generation. Now I want to give this to your house. There's, there's five things. Uh, six, six things. There's six things in this. Here's what a, here's what a Samuel generation does. They affirm value. So any, anybody can do this on a Sunday morning. Man, you guys were doing this already. We had Dream Team Chapel here this morning for all the people that are already serving. They are back there with kids doing all kinds of things. And I had my daughter share just this morning. And there's people just like coming up to her, just affirming value. There's, there's something that we do when we're just calling it out of every young person that walks in the door, every young person that's serving. If we're a generation that's just affirming value, it's that first step in anointing them for the call of God on their life. But here's the second thing is we notice the potential. We're looking past the awkwardness, past the pain points, past the difficulty, past the angsty part, and we're noticing the potential. Hey, right now, this young person might be a shepherd. They might be in the field. I notice, though, what God is doing in their life. And then the third thing is that we operate. Operate T. Operate. (laughs) Prophetically. (laughs) It's good. We operate prophetically. And we're hearing what God's saying. And we we don't have to stop. And we don't have to say like, thus says the Lord, right? Some kind of like prophetic word. We can just prophetically begin to declare, hey, when I heard you just sharing, here's what I noticed. Here's what God was speaking to me just as you were sharing. I watched you just connecting with other people out here. And man, the way that you are just so friendly, it sets this atmosphere that's warm and inviting. I so appreciated you doing that. We are prophetically seeing the seeds of what it is that God is doing. But then here's what, here's what Samuel did. He invited him on the journey because David was being anointed for a role that was going to take a long time for him to actually step into. There was a journey ahead of him. And we got to invite young people on the journey of, I believe in you. I see what God's doing. And I'm going to invite you into those roles in which you can actually begin to operate in what God's called you to do. At Sun City Church, we have young people that are leading almost every area of the church. Like if you come and they are on worship teams, they are running the sound, the cameras, they're sitting on the front row and they're telling me and Danny when we step on the stage, they are back in Sun City Kids leading worship, they're preaching, they're teaching, they are running all kinds of things because we're inviting them on the journey of what God has called them to do. We name the calling. I see what God's called you to do and I believe, I believe in it. And now I'm going to train you for the leadership. There's a coaching space of, hey, I'm just going to keep preparing and planning and just investing. It is costly. It is costly to invest in the next generation. But here's what I would tell you, One Life Church. I believe you're already hearts leaning in, like we're willing to pay the cost. But there will come conversations after the one we're having right now where you have to go like, okay, are are we willing to get a little bit awkward? Are we willing to change things up? Are we willing for it to not just be about us? That we are going to train the next generation. We are going to give them ownership in the house. Samuel was instrumental in David's journey of becoming king. Now you, you maybe if you know the Bible, if you've been around church for a little bit, you know this part and you're like, you know, he anoints him with oil, but Samuel goes back to wherever Samuel lives. 
He's in like the world where he is being the priest and the prophet. And David's on his own journey. David's going to go and he's going to encounter Goliath. He's going to go and end up serving in Saul's, Saul's uh, courtyards. He's going to become this great warrior. And then Saul's going to get jealous and he's going to try to kill David. It seems like their paths separated. Like there was this moment and then they just went different ways. But when we look at what happened, that's not what took place at all. We don't know all of the conversations, all of the ways that they interacted, but there was a relationship between Samuel and David that continued. And the reason we know this is because we get down into 1 Samuel 19. And at this point, Saul has now turned on David. He liked him when he was winning all the battles for him. Now he doesn't like him anymore because he's getting more, more of the glory, more of the honor from all of the people than, than, uh, than Saul is. So now he's trying to kill him. And look at what David does. This is, this is what I want to put in your spirits here today, One Life Church. 1 Samuel 19, verse 18. When David had fled, made his escape, he went to Samuel at Ramah. He gets in trouble. He doesn't go back to his dad's house. He goes to Samuel. He runs to Samuel and he told him all that Saul had done to him. Then he and Samuel went to Naoth and they stayed there. And we don't know how long they stayed there. But word eventually gets to Saul. David is in Naoth at Ramah. So he sent men to capture him. But when they saw a group of prophets prophesying with Samuel standing there as their leader, the spirit of God came on Saul's men and they also prophesied. Imagine that. They're coming in with all of their weapons and they encounter a group of people that is so in tune with what the Spirit of God is doing that they just immediately get caught up in the flood. They're just immediately prophesying too. So when they saw the group of the prophets prophesying with Samuel standing there, they prophesied too. Saul was told about it. He sent more men. They prophesied too. Saul sent men a third time. They also prophesied over and over and over again. There is this barrier that Samuel in this environment of the prophetic is creating in which David is being protected. And Saul cannot come in and do what it is he wants to do. Finally, he himself, this is Saul, left for Ramah, went to the big cistern at Seku, and he asked, where are Samuel and David? And in the rest of the story, Saul ends up prophesying. And literally, he cannot touch David because David is with Samuel. I believe in this moment, God is looking for churches all over America that he can trust with what he is doing in a next generation. I believe he is looking for churches just like yours. And he's looking, is there a Samuel generation that will see what I'm doing, will invest in what I'm doing, and will protect the work of God that is happening? There needs to be a Samuel generation in order for a David generation to become who they're called to be, which is why my third point is that we just invest in legacy we invest financially, we invest in prayer, we invest relationally, we invest leadership, we invest in legacy. David continues his journey. He becomes the king that God wanted from the beginning. And he's a king, interestingly enough, 
who functions in many of these roles of a priest. And it was the same roles that God looked at Saul and said, this man does not have my heart and he is overstepping. But now David, he is functioning in these kingly roles and God trusts his heart. And we watch David stepping into these roles of priesthood and God giving him access. In fact, in 2 Samuel 6, David goes to get the Ark of the Covenant of God. It's the very presence of God and he brings it into the city. And it says this, David went up to bring the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Notice just the level investment. I believe that very much mirrors the level of investment that Samuel had made into David. Now David is making into the work of God that he is protecting. It says, when those who are carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of the trumpet. And David, what we don't see in his passage beforehand, had already had this great failure with bringing up the ark of the Lord. And not, not for lack of effort, but for lack of understanding what God wanted to do. But instead of just kind of walking away from it and going like, ah, God, you must not want to do this. David goes and he learns. He learns to listen. God, what is it you're saying? How should I treat your presence? How should I bring it up to Jerusalem? Lessons that his mentor Samuel taught him. He taught him how to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, how to follow the ways of God. So then David not only ushers in the Ark of the Covenant, but he creates this tabernacle and it's just made of tent. That's all it is. It's a tabernacle of tent. Now this is like a, if people got near the Ark of the Covenant, they touched it like a man had already done in the previous story of them trying to bring the Ark. He, he died because the Ark is holy. It's the presence of God. It's supposed to be guarded and no one's supposed to come close. But David creates this tent just a tent. It's not a whole lot of in between. <laughs> Layers between them and the presence of God. And for 24-7 kind of worship rhythms, they would, the, all of Israel would come and they would just worship before God. 24-7 hour prayer and worship. And it continued under David's reign for 33 years. 33 years mirroring the number of years that the Messiah walked on the earth. During that time, David would have prophetic insight after prophetic insight about who the Messiah would be, how he would live, how he would die. Incredible prophetic insight during this period of time. And it's because of this that God is looking at it and saying, I'm going to take the kingdom of David and I'm going to cause his reign to extend. In fact, in Acts, after God is establishing his church, they bring back this prophetic word out of Micah. And here's what they say in Acts 15. The words of the prophet are in agreement with this. At, as it is written, and they're saying, this is what God's doing in this hour. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins 
I will rebuild and I will restore it that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things from long ago. And it's David's tent, not the beautiful temple that eventually Solomon would build, not these huge buildings that other nations were building, a tent, but a tent that carried the heart of God. We just love his presence. And it started with a Samuel generation who could see what God was doing, stepped into partner, anoint the David generation, guard it and protect it from what the enemy was trying to do, and then invest in something that would last far beyond their lifetime. One Life Church, I believe God wants to do that right now. He is doing it. I don't think it's coming, it's here, and I'm here to just breathe on the fire of what he's doing, which is why I invited my daughter even to come and just share. I wanted to not just give you a word about a multi-generational house, about a table that generations would gather around. I wanted to model it for you. So she has a word God's spoken to her. Annie, why don't you come up? I'm just going to have her share, and then we're going to pray together, and we're just going to believe for what God would do. So I'm just going to read this verse real quick out of Matthew. This is definitely the wrong verse. Well, we're going to skip the verse then. Um, <laughs> um, so I, at youth group on Wednesday, back in Spokane, they started talking about this story about how an earthquake came when Paul and Silas were in prison. And like this earthquake shook off all the shackles and it broke the doors. So they were like, they're good to go. They could escape any time they wanted. But unknown to the guard, all of the prisoners had been changed by God. So they were still in their prison cells. And so the guard comes in and he goes, oh crap. Uh, <laughs> I lost them. And there's this hopelessness in him. It's like, I, I can't, I lost them. Like, I can't, there's nothing left for me. Like, so he grabs a sword and he's like preparing to like die. So then Paul, he's like, no, we're still here. They're, we're still here, all of us. And the guard, the guard, guard there we go the guard he's just like whoa like crazy and like I've been I've heard this a thousand times like it's one of the famous bible stories but on Wednesday when they're talking about it I just heard something brand new like if we don't look past the door we'll never see the miracle like there's this hopelessness in him but now after he encounters God, he's going to go back home and he's going to start looking for that miracle, right? Because like when we don't know God, there's just hopelessness in us. But there's a hope we find when we get God. It's good. <laughs> I love it. I love that story of a generation, um, you know, Annie's insight of a, a generation that learns to look past the hopelessness and see how God is working. And so I'm just going to have you pray that. Annie, would you pray that over the young people of this house and all who are coming? Um, if you would, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? Just right here. Let's just receive from the presence of God. I'm going to have you pray over this house, Anne. 
I'm just praying a blessing and anointing over this house, God. I am just praying that there would be this just this just like power to be able to influence the young people to be able to just speak encouragement and speak life into them God I'm just praying and anointing over the young people in this house right now that when we go out onto the streets there's a power that we carry with us that there is a power that they can sense it that other people around us are like what's going on with them that's crazy God I am praying that there would just be a Samuel generation right now that could rise up and they could teach the young people to pray and they could teach the young people how to live in your presence God I'm just praying for a new generational table to come up right now God I'm just praying that there would be a new connection God I'm praying it wouldn't be awkward and there would be no resistance against the other generations God I'm just praying that it would be just this family bonding God God, we're praying over One Life Church right now. And God, would you do what you want to do in this house? God, that there would be a multi-generational table that would be established. God, for all the young people who are here, but all who are coming, God, that there would be, God, just an investment into all that you want to do. God, that you would be able to trust this house with the work of God that is happening right now on the earth. God, that young people would flood this house. God, I'm praying, God, that there would be provision, um, people, resources, God, places, spaces to gather. God, there would be worship people. There would be people investing. They'd be paying for meals and gathering places in order for these young people to get together. God, that you would, you would cause there to be in this house everything that they need to steward the work of God that is happening. And God, we do pray. God, would you draw young people all over the city? God, all over the valley. God, we pray that you would cause there to be campus clubs, God, that there would be small groups, God, that there would be places of prayer and places of worship and that there would be young people, that they would be discipling other young people, God, that there would be an incredible move of God that would happen in this hour. In Jesus' name, we ask it. One final thing, I just want to pray here for us today. And if you're, if you're here and maybe you're stirred and you're like, man, our nation, our culture needs, needs hope for a, a young generation. Maybe you're hearing that, but maybe just here today, you feel that you yourself are just far from God. And like, I love that. I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of a church that is investing that way. But you yourself just feel like, man, today, I just need to, I just need to get right. I just need to get close to Jesus again. I just want to take this moment and I want to pray for you. If you just bow your heads and close your eyes just one more time. If there's anyone here today that's just coming in and like you can feel it in your spirit. Maybe at one point you've been close to him and, and you've just wandered. Maybe you've never made the decision to be all in. Like, God, my life is yours. I trust you with it. God, you're my savior. You're my king. If you've never made that decision, I want to give you that opportunity. So just right here in this atmosphere of prayer, if that's you here today, I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand and pray a prayer with all of us and believe that here in this moment, everything could change. So on the count of three, I'm going to invite you, raise your hand and let's pray this prayer together and believe that this could be a brand new beginning for your life. One, two, three. Anybody in the room? It's you. Amen. Amen. If that's you and you raise your hand here today, I'm just going to invite all of us to just pray this prayer together. You just mean this words with all of your heart. Just believe right now God's encountering you in a brand new, powerful way. Would, would we just all, congregation, pray this together? Dear Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins? Would you make me new? I ask you to be my savior and I submit my life to you as my Lord. Would you teach me how to live this life 
in a way that honors you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and lead me into a brand new way of doing life. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Can we celebrate with everyone who made that decision for the very first time?